This is Everything Elite, the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to all elite wrestling and I guess the elite extended universe. I'm Aaron Bentley. I am joined, as always, by one of my good friends, Mike Spears. What's up, Mike? Hey, Aaron. It's Golden Week right now, and it's kind of on my Dragon Gate side of everything. I'm just overrun of Dragon Gate shows. The first big show of the year is on the 6th, so I'm just getting geared up for a crazy-ass cage match. So, yeah, I got an article up now, and then there'll be a new episode of my other podcast coming up soon. I don't. I meant not to plug that because strong plugs. Ah, yeah. I, I'm done. I'm doing good. How are you, bud? <laughs> Mike's podcast is called Open the Voice Gate, for the record. Uh, and you can see the article he was just talking about at VoicesOfWrestling.com. I'm doing great. Nate, you're also here. What's up, man? Yes, I'm also here. That's my main thing that I'm doing. <laughs> um, it is Golden Week, so I'm being very disappointed in all my free gacha polls in my Japanese phone games. Um, And yeah, I'm ready to speculate about uh, John Moxley's promo for a good hour and a half here. Ooh, sounds good. Before we get into that, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at EverythingAEW. Make sure you're subscribing to the show. You can find us on our own feed on the podcast app of your choice, or you can subscribe to the full Voices of Wrestling podcasting network, where you will also get our show as soon as it drops, usually on Thursday nights. Make sure you are following me. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fujiheya. We got a bunch of stuff to talk about, it turns out. Uh, there was a Cody promo on the newest Road to Double or Nothing that I, there was a lot of talk about. We're certainly going to get into that. We're going to talk about John Moxley, a.k.a. or FKA, Dean Ambrose, and what he's doing. We've got some discussion of WWE ratings and what effect they might be having on AEW's television negotiations. Goldberg and Batista have uh, some new contract statuses, or I guess not for Batista, but yeah, new things that we know they're not going to be showing up in AEW. There's some people who are finishing up on the indies. Leo Rush made some interesting comments that I think are pretty relevant to what we're talking about. And of course, Nate will break down as always BTE for everyone, especially for those of you who don't watch and instead just follow the show by listening to Nate. I think the first thing we should talk about is the Cody promo. So instead of like a normal breakdown of Road to Double or Nothing, this is like a four and a half minute episode that was all just this promo. Cody starts talking about the uh, parable of the prodigal son and basically says, you know, people don't really understand that uh, parable, uh, but he kind of breaks it down a little. You really should watch the promo, but essentially he says, you know, he's the good son. Uh, Dustin instead was, you know, out making mistakes. But it didn't matter because their father loved them both the same. And which kind of feels like it's playing into how Dustin was building the match, except he makes this kind of abrupt shift into a sell of the match as a generational thing, a generation versus generation about how he wants to kill the Attitude Era. He uh, compares, you know, more uh, modern wrestling uh, to the Attitude Era, talks about, you know, basically says wrestling is better now. Than it was then. He uh, drops a little CM Punk reference, which you know could be interesting, and uh, closes by basically saying he loves Dustin so much that he has to kill him. So good promo. I agree with the people talking about uh, that it is probably Cody's best promo work ever. Um, Nate, what were your thoughts on uh, the promo and uh, you know the build to the match? 
I thought the promo was tremendous. Um, was great production for it. Very simple from the David Starr school of just having compelling words being spoken directly into the camera. Uh, but you also had the added effect of like Cody walking out of the darkness with his cane. Great visual. Um, it's quoting scripture and stuff. Just exactly what you want from like, you know, the Southern son of a wrestling icon and going back. Um, I agree. I don't know that it, I, I, I thought Cody saw the match was better than Dustin's and that I better understood his motivations here because he really laid him out for you pretty clearly. Um, and so, yeah, I'm not exactly sure how that meshes or meets up with Dustin's sell in the previous promo with the caveat that I watched that at a brewery and don't entirely remember what Dustin said. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, and I also popped big for the Triple H burial. He made the little pissant reference and talks about Triple H shitting the bed at WrestleMania for like four years in a row. He didn't say that, but that was the implication. Uh, and yeah, put over CM Punk, put over Okada versus Omega. Um, thought it was excellent. Sold me on the match. Like I said last week on this show, the match, it doesn't matter what the fuck they do because it's going to be super over in the building. And now we know that for sure. And yeah, um, I, it got maybe like 10% melodramatic at the end, but not to any point that it, you know, uh, lessened my enjoyment of it. I thought it was like the perfect amount of melodrama. I mean, after starting off the promo, talking about the prodigal son parable and then tearing up thinking that he's talking about how he has to put his brother down doing like a of mice of men thing. I thought this is tremendous stuff. I think it's probably my favorite Cody Rhodes promo I've ever seen. Maybe some of the promos he did with his brother and his dad back in WWE might be up there, but I thought this was great. Uh, the one thing I kind of wanted to pose to y'all, because I see the point that you're saying about we know Cody's motivations and we don't really know Dustin's or Dustin's are not as well defined. I got the impression, and I was talking to some folks about this, what would have happened of your feeling about the build if this was the first promo and then we had Dustin's promo come after? So just flip-flop the two. Because I feel like that would make the impressions of this and each person's motivations a little bit stronger. Yeah, for sure. I think that would have played better. Um, and they could have maybe just done a nice little teaser where you know, they intercut some shots of Dustin out on the ranch, you know, while Cody's talking, just so you set up that we're going to hear a response from Dustin. I think that would have been pretty cool. Um, but yeah, this this is a much clearer story and motivation to follow, I think. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Mike, because it's like he does the of mice and men thing at the end. I'm, I'm going to kill him, put him down. And then you could have had Dustin saying, you know, wait a second. It's not the end of the road for me just yet, perhaps. That's a good point, uh, but that's not how we got it. <laughs> Instead, yeah, yeah. we got this promo, and I think I was just thinking, like, is this the most compelling Cody has ever been to me? And I think it's either this or that article that was in the Ringer. Oh yeah, which like totally babyface Cody to me, and uh, this is about as compelling as that was. I mean, they're pretty equal, but I'm not sure that in. This isn't in a wrestling room, but you know, in a wrestling context, I'm not sure he's ever been more compelling to me as a character. In the article, he was compelling to me as a human being. Uh, so I'm not sure that as a wrestling character, I've ever been as compelled as I am at this very moment. Yeah, I would not argue with anybody that feels that way. 
I like the way you put that, Nate. Thanks. Okay. Uh, that's all on Cody and Dustin, which, of course, that's going to take place at Double or Nothing on May 25th in Las Vegas. Only 23 days from when we're recording, so we're getting close to actual wrestling, which I'm looking forward to. <laughs> Not Nate's favorite. Nate just wants content. It's okay. So. I just love vlogs so much, you guys. I just want more and more <laughs> vlogs. <laughs> well, during the media scrums at Double or Nothing, I'll be sure to ask about vlogs for you. Thank you. Just to make sure you're covered. Well, we didn't talk about this, Mike. Uh, Nate talked a little bit about the production, but what did you think about the production of this promo? You're the you're our production guy. Well, I, I liked it a, uh, multiple times better than the other video we're going to talk about. Uh, it, it's a really simple thing that they did. They had a couple key lights and just ring lights that they used, which I think for these sort of promos is really understated, and it gets the point across and does a great job of lighting the guys, I mean, as Nate mentioned, like David Starr is kind of the person who's taken this style of just either a medium shot or a close up and just doing a straight talking to the camera promo. And, you, you know, I mean, they kept it tight. I mean, the four minutes I did notice that when I first watched it, there was some artifacting, which kind of bothered me a little bit. But it also could have been another like Game of Thrones like situation where bandwidth was a concern. But yeah, I thought this was effective and as I'll get into it a bit, these kind of things aren't hard to do. Yeah, speaking of uh, other videos that we saw this week, of course, uh, Dean Ambrose, who uh, was formerly known on the Indies as John Moxley, posted on Twitter for what I think could have been like his first tweet. Uh, because his I checked out his old account like last week, and all that was on there was like a retweet of a reply to him or something. So I don't know if he'd scrub that at some point. but No, I think he famously did not tweet. Right. So in what may have been his very first tweet ever, he uh, well didn't say anything, but he did post a video that was was interesting to me because early on in the in the discourse of Moxley leaving WWE, you know, Mike, I specifically remember talking about, well, maybe he's just going to go away. You know, he just wants to get out of the business. That yeah, had, I thought he was going to be a drifter. And that had kind of gone away. Like it was like, oh no, he's going to be doing wrestling. But then I feel like very recently it started to kind of creep back into the reports that, well, maybe he wasn't going to go anywhere to wrestle. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh yeah, maybe we've seen the last of him. But then suddenly this video drops and uh, you should definitely go watch it uh, rather than uh, me explain it to you. But essentially he's in a, uh, a jail or prison. He's going to break out. He climbs over the, uh, fence and like tears out the uh, barbed wire and takes it with him. There is literally a big dog chasing him. Uh, and he importantly, perhaps walks by a mural at the Viper room in LA that features two dice or two. What is it? Yeah. Die, die, dice. dice, two dice, <laughs> single die, multiple right. dice. Damn. Watch that. Uh, one that had a two and one that had a five. And a uh, friend of the show, Sean Ross Sapp, I think. Or no, it was Ryan Satin, wasn't it? Not, oh yeah, Satin. Yeah, posited that uh, that had something to do with the May 25th double or nothing show. So, a lot to talk about here. But let's, we'll get back into the production, Mike. Don't you worry. Oh no, it's fine. I, I'm getting geared up. I'm pumping up. I'm doing like Hulk Hogan and his old promos, like revving it up. <laughs> so let's talk about the content first before I go off on. Yes. idiots on twitter so let's start here nate what did you think of the video 
not not from a production standpoint. Okay. <laughs> but what did you think of the video? What did it? How did um, it make you feel? So I had some takes on this that got a lot of attention. Um, it's funny that the perception behind the perception of why John Moxley was leading the, leaving the WWE was that he didn't want to do their cheesy bullshit. Um, but then he immediately puts out this video, which is like still pretty cheesy. Like, I mean, it's it's what the WWE would put out if they were, you know, 20% more competent at what they're supposed to be doing. And they were trying to make an actually badass character. This is exactly what they would do. Um, so, you know, it's not like, it's not obviously not as badass as like Nick Gage cutting a promo from the back of a taxi cab or, you know, something like that. Um, but the real takeaway of it was that although I was not like super high on seeing John Moxley work matches elsewhere because his work in the WWE that I saw was pretty underwhelming. Um, it's good because it takes such direct shots at the WWE and that entertains me. That's like my main motivation again, politically and, and in wrestling and everything else. Um, so yeah, he basically analogizes the WWE to a prison and uh, he's going to break out of it. I mean, you're the, you know, if Mike's the production expert, you're the prison expert, AB. So what's your uh, <laughs> take on their, their presentation of a prison environment here? Well, when I saw that he was going to scale the fence, I was like, okay, but there's going to be barbed wire at the top. <laughs> so at least they paid off the barbed wire. I appreciated that. Um, I don't know. Now, someone suggested to me that it's, it was actually intended to be an insane asylum. I, I definitely read it as prison. Yeah, that didn't play to me either. Uh, but, I mean, he got out of the of prison pretty easily, you know, relative to a lot of the guys I know who would like to get out of prison. So, uh, I don't know. I didn't take that very seriously. <laughs> uh, but I was glad, you know, I liked that he, I mean, it was cheesy as hell, but, you know, ripping off the barbed wire and it's like in his hand, you know? Yeah, that kind was a, definitely a cool, the cool, the way where he made himself be with the barbed wire, that was the cool payoff you want. Um, yeah. Even though you have, you know, basically what's a pretty cheesy vignette leading up to that. Um, on the Viper Room point, so I made a tweet about this and said that the dice are not actually near the Viper Room. The dice are part of the Viper Room logo in this video, but on the actual facade of the Viper Room in Los Angeles, this logo does not appear. It's a different little Viper Room logo. Hmm. So they, unless that's a common logo elsewhere in Los Angeles that they use, it must have been a pretty intentional choice to have the one with the dice rather than a generic Viper room logo, such as the one that's actually on the door of the Viper room. That's interesting. Well, I mean, just generally, do we think this guy is coming straight to AEW? I hope not. I, I want to see him go do some death matches. I mean, no one took it back to 1999, like, like John Moxley, like that was kind of the stuff he excelled at. But I think that eventually there's only so many places that he could rationally end up, I feel like, especially money-wise, considering, you know, he's someone who saved his money, but he's not going to go back and work for Ian Rotten, you know? So I think he, in the end, I would like to see him go do stuff, maybe go do some GCW shows, but I think in the end, uh, AEW is the obvious landing spot, or maybe New Japan, though I feel like that's a little less likely. Yeah, I, uh, I think the ideal route for him is to do a little stint, you know, in the in the GCW 
range of indies, which is really like GCW and PWG are kind of the only indies left at that level maybe now. Um, but yeah, I mean, my, my like ideal uh, John Moxley fantasy booking is like he goes and wins tournaments of survival or something. And then he engage in Matt Tremont or somebody invade AEW as GCW and give us, you know, the sequel to the ROH versus CZW feud we've all been waiting on. Um, and then we finally get the Matt Tremont versus Cody match. <laughs> I'm glad you haven't forgotten about that. I want that match. I know. The the barbed wire thing, I mean, the only fulfilling payoff is for him to do death matches, right? Or at least a death match. Yes. He has to do, I mean... The real question is, is he doing GCW death matches? And the, you know, the threshold is if it has a kendo stick, it's not a death match. If it has a light tube, it is a death match. I think that's a fair rule. Yeah. So is he yeah. doing a GCW death match with light tubes? Or is he gonna go do uh, you know, PWG Girl Warfare with tacks and chairs and no death no light tubes? Excuse me. I just don't expect him to do the PWG route. I mean, when he was Finishing up in the Indies, his two big homes were Dragon Gate USA and CZW. And everyone that was around CZW at that time has pretty much departed and decamped to GCW. So, And he was someone that was willing to do light tube matches before. I don't think that seven, eight years in the Fed has changed his idea on that. Unless maybe now that he's married, he, his he doesn't his wife might have said no you you idiot don't do light tubes i don't want to have to go to to a show where i need to wear a hazmat suit and a mask like a geek so i feel like that it has to be gcw personally okay my big take here is that this video changed my mind about john moxley yeah i'm with you i famously not famously nobody cared i had the take on this show that aw should not sign John Moxley because I agree with what Nate and Mike said. I don't care to see him wrestling in a ring uh, as opposed to somewhere else. I'm not sure where. Um, and I thought that he couldn't be worth the amount of money they would have to pay him to come because he's you know, making probably a seven-figure guy in WWE. That said, after I watched this video, I was like, this guy's a fucking star. And they have to have him. He's the biggest star available, and they have to sign him. That's my take. My, yeah, probably the biggest star in the West. Um, and yeah, it's really amazing how literally the second you throw off the WWE branding, you become like twice as big a star. And yes. I mean, you know, Cody was the uh, was the pilot program for that. You know, he uh, quit the WWE, put out a tweet with a checklist on Twitter, and like became twice as likable and twice as big a star to anyone that actually follows or enjoys wrestling. So yeah, you know, um, would certainly be a much bigger get for him at this point, I think, than my perception was two months ago. Yeah. And I just mean for TV trying to run all these uh, shows in, in pretty big arenas, they are going to need more stars. Obviously they're going to try to make some stars with fresh guys, but there's no reason to throw away the star power that uh, this guy is going to bring with him. Cause People are going to want to see, I know that I don't want them to sign a bunch of WWE guys, but people are going to be interested in these WWE guys outside of that world. So I think at least for the first couple of uh, events, he would uh, be a real draw. So I think they got to have him. Mike, yeah. let me ask, um, uh, you said that his 
previous big indie run was in DG USA. So was he there contemporaneously with the Young Bucks and Shima and all these other guys who are now in AEW? So this would have been a little bit before when the Bucks did DG USA. They were already affiliated with Dragon Gate at the time. And yeah, Shima was a part of it. But I mean, to be honest, the way that Shima really scouted uh, Dragon Gate USA, he was never going to be a guy that go over to Dragon Gate. He's, he felt more like a Gabe guy than anything. I mean, strong promo and he did a bunch of brawls. And the, he was a part of the American version of Kamikaze with... Shingo Takagi, Yamato, Nakira Tozawa, but he kind of was there in a lot of ways to be their English promo, for lack of a better word. So there is a connection, but probably one that's not as big as, say, what would happen if suddenly Ricochet left WWE, if that makes sense. I also want to be clear that if he goes and does a deathmatch with Vic Gage, he will become a bigger star. But if he goes to work for Gabe and works like Josh Briggs, he will <laughs> the shine will be off. I will completely change my mind. Completely gone if he goes and works with the Josh Briggs or Harlem Bravado in the Fern Garden, right? <laughs> I mean, I like Josh Briggs fine, but Oh, I, I don't yeah. have a problem with Josh Briggs. Well, I'm hurt. just saying he, that is like that's a good way to kill your buzz. Yeah. Yeah. It's really it's honestly and uh, it's really a marvel that Cody rebuilt his buzz when he did like a little evolve run and a little impact run like yeah the evolve thing almost killed the buzz yeah because he had the like chris hero was having outrageous matches with everyone and they had like a whatever match yeah and uh, somehow he he came back from that <laughs> the, the only thing i remember from his evolve run was that terrible uh, joppa maryland venue and his theme that at the time i really hated and now it's so bad that i kind of think it's charming down the downstate theme was completely blowing out all the speakers in the venue and you couldn't hear anyone it was facing ethan page and the match wasn't great and i was just like okay this is what we're getting and then now he cut one of my favorite promos of the year so things can turn around but i don't think john moxley's uh independent list should start with working joppa maryland again so i'm trying to think of another random person that works for gabe now uh yeah that's why all i came up with was josh briggs that was not a shot at josh briggs for no no it's just that there's anthony henry okay there we go yeah. i mean that sounds like a cool match but yeah uh, now that i'm regretting <laughs> that statement uh i'm but going the, to Barato. Yeah. that's easy yeah one. that's yeah. fine yeah but yeah. like obviously uh the fed is not going to let moxley work uh, evolve anyway so we really don't well, I, we don't know that because moxley what they were extremely nice to him that's like I think why people still believe that he was just going to retire or sit out for a while is they kept giving him all these stupid farewells and stuff. I mean, this is you know first they were going to bury him by having him lose to N- Nia Jax. Um, you know we see now that they're burying the revival again. Um, but yeah, then they did change their tune and decide to be super nice to him for some weird reason. So yeah, I'll always be interested in that. So I guess there's a possibility. But my point is, uh, Mox, if you're listening. Don't go to Evolve. <laughs> uh, it's just, it's such a different world now. You know, yeah. I just don't think it's like a, not a buzz place. Uh, well, so. I don't know that it was ever a buzz place. It was a buzz place for about two weeks when they had Sabre and signed away Keith Lee and uh, whoever the other fucking ROH guy they got was. And then they never really delivered on that anyway. Yeah, but the the Sabre riddle Keith Lee uh, run was a pretty pretty good run for the company. 
Uh, yeah, but still not buzzy. Even then, it's not like it was getting, you know, it wasn't, uh, it didn't prop flow slam up for very long. Uh, no, no, that's true. I, I just, you know what I'm saying? I just want to like, I want him to protect, protect the vibe that he protect has. Protect the right buzz. Now. Protect the yeah. buzz. Protect the buzz. So, uh, you know, fight Nick Gage, uh, yeah. then fight David Arquette. Yeah, and... sure. Fight a different, <laughs> fight the different boy, Jimmy Lloyd. Fight Jimmy Lloyd. I mean, that's honestly that's a way better match than anybody he could fight and evolve. I mean, Lloyd, yeah, Moxley sure. Takeda is the match, obviously. I mean, what I would like, you know, go to tournament of survival and uh, hey, Kenta. be like, Kenta, what the fuck are you doing, man? Get over here and get in the ring. That would rule, actually. Yeah. Make Moxley bring back Kenta's fire. Come on. Wow, I'd All rather right. have Moxley face Great Sasuke there, to be honest. A lot Take of fantasy booking from Nate on this show. You know, GCW, <laughs> I like. I feel like fantasy booking is justified because they fucking deliver on wacky shit and make you feel like your dreams can come true. <laughs> That's why I'm glad it's in the uh, elite extended universe. Sure, it absolutely is. So, one thing we're gonna we're gonna get to production, Mike. I promise. This will be a bit on the show. Oh no, I know. But Nate. Added this note in the docs. I want to make sure we discuss it. There has been some conspiracy talk. Is it possible that actually, after they were very nice to him, they did like the 30 shield, last shield matches, did they make this video for him? Is this all an elaborate work that we're going to see the John Moxley character show back up in WWE? Okay, so there are... I think two factors that can be used to support the idea that the WWE made this video for some bizarre reason. Um, one is that it just kind of has the sheen of a WWE video where it looks like something they would produce. Um, and second, it looks, it has, I don't know if it has the vibe. It's reminiscent to a lot of people of the GCW videos that uh, Giancarlo Datama was making when he was creating basically all of the uh, Janela buzz. Um, and Brett Lauderdale from GCW has not been shy about, um, like he tweeted Carlo, meaning John Carlo soon after the video came out. Um, Ryan Satin, I was Ryan. No, I think it was Sean Ross Sapp quote tweeted me and then Lauderdale faved it and said, you know, this reminds me, or this looks like a John Carlo video. And my understanding is that John Carlo still works for the WWE. They hired him away from GCW basically. So if you're, and also John Carlos said he was going to be in LA like a week ago. So if you take that evidence to suggest that John Carlo was involved in the production of the video, that would suggest that the WWE also was probably involved in the production of the video, but we don't know. I mean, he might just be doing contract work for the WWE. Um, he might be, you know, freelancing and in, in an, an actual independent contractor for them or something. Um, but I think the uh, main thing to, um, dissuade you from thinking that way is the WWE while Vince has shown a willingness to be self-deprecating sometimes or work with people that have buried him um, I don't think they're going to be involved in the production of a video that uh, so unsubtly calls the place a prison especially when we know there's like a million talents that want out of that company right now yeah I mean the Giancarlo thing is weird. But it's also not like I'm seeing all these videos on WWE TV that are like, oh, they're using Giancarlo a lot. 
you know so yeah yeah i think he tweets when he makes his his stuff for them like he sometimes tweets youtubes that on the wwe channel maybe but it's really like brett lauderdale's twitter is what makes me raise an eyebrow like why else is he talking about Giancarlo? i mean Giancarlo was at spring break i saw him there um so there's obviously still a relationship with them joey janela said he saw something a few days ago that would blow all of our minds which could be this and maybe Giancarlo said it to him and but you know it could just be fucking lauderdale fucking with us because he knows people are looking at his tweets and his likes yeah hard to say but the whole prison thing i would i would be stunned and there's like blood in the video which they have famously shied you know they like make everything black and white old video that has blood in it so i don't know i'd, I'd be shocked by that there's a lot of decent reasons for it to possibly be wwe but it just with the way that they have portrayed themselves like y'all have been saying it just doesn't make sense and I don't know. Maybe it's Occam's razor. And I just like the Giancarlo thing, I think was just more him being coy about it. And we don't know if this was shot in Los Angeles, by the way. I mean, you're they, right. It's the, they use the Viper Room logo, but that mm-hmm. very easily could have been on a green screen or some shit. Yeah. So, yeah, I just like quickly typed in Viper Room Los Angeles and Google imaged it and didn't see that particular logo anywhere. Yeah. And that, you know, that was a Which quick probably start. supports the dice theory. Also, like, Moxley lives in Vegas, right? Oh, that sounds right. Yeah, no, last time that I've heard both him and Renee were based out of Vegas, at least, and when they were on Total Divas, they were. That was a couple of years ago. Yeah, so I, I don't know. It, it would be interesting. I mean, if he's right there in town, you know, you think he would just walk over to the show. <laughs> Why not? Get a payday out of it. Yeah. But there is one more topic to discuss about this video. And I've seen Mike Spears has been hulking up. <laughs> He's been, he was doing uh, bicep curls over there, trying to get some of the energy out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nate I'm, did. I'm... <laughs> Nate did mention the production a little bit. Yeah. You can really see those buys popping from uh, yeah. Mike Spears. And my Tyco t-shirt. That's it. Our pal Ferrante would be proud of how Mike's looking right now. I've got the fever. <laughs> so, Mike. Okay. Hey, what Aaron. What did you think about – well, I, I, let me set it up this way. Mm-hmm. The other conspiracy that's out there is that this was made by WWE because only WWE could have produced a video with this – uh, with these high production values and this quality. Uh, or people have also said, oh, AEW must have made this because only they have the money to make a video uh, like WWE does. Yeah, right. both. exactly. I, I've heard both. I've heard both. So what do you say to that? Well, I think that's frankly bullshit. Just <laughs> just in a one sentence. Wouldn't that be funny if we both made this a big deal and that's all I said? Uh, yes, that'd be a great bit. That'd be a great bit. Oh, no, it's frankly bullshit. I think that people greatly overestimate one the power that people with prosumer products can make production look high grade and two how expensive it is because production costs and how the uh, industry works is kind of there's a very big like barter system like i talked to my dear dear brother who is out in la and has done 
shoots of like that would be like somewhere to this nature and we were breaking this down and we both were like okay yeah i i started off with a, with a dollar total that was just a plain ten thousand dollars i was like could this get made for ten thousand dollars it's like oh yeah you would you would have the various doubles you would rent your sets uh you'd rent a camera you'd rent a fog machine you rent two lights and yeah yeah you could do it for that and i was like how could you do this for five thousand dollars oh uh you don't rent the sets and you just get people off the street. How do you do this for $1,000? You borrow all the equipment and you pay someone to help edit and do color correction. Saying that, oh, only WWE and All Elite Wrestling could put together a video package like that is a very, uh, I don't want to say ignorant because that's not fair. It, it, it's some, it, it comes from a world of unfamiliarity to how production costs are. Like, do you all remember in WrestleMania Orlando weekend when when Gabe Sapolsky went on about how expensive his laser was that he had, and that's where all the Flow Slam money was going towards? No, I do not recall that. Nate, do you remember that? Yeah, you don't recall that? Yeah, I do. That was a joke, guys. I, yeah. I, I, I recall okay, it. You didn't yeah. deliver it like a joke. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> joke canceled. Canceled. <laughs> I immediately, when he started doing this, I started specking Orlando area production offices to see how much it would cost to rent a laser of that ability there. And it was $500 for a full week. Like, didn't, he, didn't he say the laser thing to us? Yes, he did. He did. I mean, that was the joke, folks. Come on. Yeah. And, and, and as soon as you told me, <laughs> I was like, all right, here we go. No, no, no. So yeah, production stuff, it's not complicated. I mean, don't get me wrong. The cameras that are used in WWE television and in sports in general, we, I've talked on the show, there are different kind of cameras that are a lot more expensive. But like my everyday carry camera, which is a Canon 60D, could do something that if it was lit well and I spent enough time in post-production and if I had the right things in, that people who work in production could do for about $1,000. Yeah, people really don't appreciate how important, how important lighting is to how something yeah. looks. Mm -hmm. And what you can do to that in post, which, you know, the software might cost you a little bit, but, uh, you know, using it over and over again. Right. Yeah. Or you have a friend that you can borrow it, the software from and say, hey, can I borrow your laptop? Like there's right. the, there's so many people I know who do stuff on shoestring budgets are basically buying pizzas to pay people to help out with. That's just how yeah. it works. With I it. mean, anyone who, who says that, that it has to be WWE or AEW, which, hey, it might come out that it was one of those companies you know yeah, and, and absolutely. Be fine. but did i mean we just talked about john carlo's videos which mm -hmm. were all of very high quality mm -hmm. kenny johnson who makes uh the evolve mini docs and has made other other video uh projects all very high quality there's lots of good stuff out there that's not made by huge companies so we you know, watch an indie movie sometimes you know where it's like uh, you can do pretty high quality for for not that much money so i think the main factors in this video that would differentiate it from, for example, a John Carlo video he did for GCW is the locations, the sets, and they had a trained dog. So which suggests a certain level of professionalism in terms of he probably had somebody that needed to find the locations and rent the locations or get access to the locations. And he had to find like probably a literal anim animal trainer, I would think, which uh, certainly he has the money to do those things. There's no doubt about that. But realistically, it, it would be very surprising if he was going to make that money back 
doing shows with like GCW. So I think that's probably where a lot of the, um, you know, assumptions come from, um, where people are saying, oh, it has to be a big company that did this. That's not necessarily the case. Um, but I, I kind of understand that side of it. Uh, but we, we, at this point, we kind of have to assume that he's not doing things for the money in, in the short term, at least, um, and is doing things for reasons other than money. So maybe this is just what he uh, wanted to do to express himself and to enjoy wrestling. Yeah. He's a multimillionaire. I mean, if he, even if he spent $10,000 on it, he, he's probably counting on that here pretty soon. He's going to sign a high six figures, <laughs> low seven figures deal. So, you know, not real worried about it. This could have just been a giant passion project because he went through the show Prison Break lately. And that's been what he's been <laughs> thinking about. He's been like, I really want to do something that's reminiscent of mid-2000s Fox television show Prison Break. Just a great time in the culture, I think. Yeah, did, did, absolutely. Taking it back to 2006, guys. Like, But yeah, I, I guess with the way I look at it is that the dog probably would have been, unless he got someone paid a little bit too much for post-production the dog probably was unless he had a friend who might have had a dog that does training i mean he has done films before so he might have connections like basically to me what well, all this comes down to is connections and to top it all off after you all gave your pans on this i'm going to end my production with this it was incredibly hokey why would the person who is at one time a top 10 promo in the world dating to fcw decide that this is the coolest thing for him to do to show his debut instead of doing like what we said about the uh, Cody Rhodes promo or the David Starr promo. So, yeah. Yeah, he didn't speak a word. So that was. <laughs> I wonder. Years. I wonder if you answered your own question, and maybe they don't want the Cody and uh, Moxley promos being that similar coming out in such a short amount of time. Maybe that's you know assuming too much, but um, you know I did I did hear from a person that knows things who said they were under the impression he was going to AEW, but who can wow, say? we, we got a wannabe insider on the line here. Um, yeah. I'm going to stipulate that I don't hang out in like the VOW <laughs> slack or talk to rich and Joe. So it's not any of those people that you would think, but yeah. you know, somebody else who tends to know things. Okay. I haven't even heard this from Nate, so I don't even know. Yeah. There's a scoop for you. I said, uh, I wow. heard something. What a scoop. Okay. Let's talk about some people we know aren't going to end up in AEW, at least for the time being. Uh, WWE announced that they have signed Goldberg for their next uh, show in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. And I think Dave Meltzer reported in the Wrestling Observer newsletter that the signing was uh, at least in part to stop him from going to AEW. Of course, Young Bucks had teased in an uh, earlier BTE that they were at least interested in Goldberg, uh, which that's to no one's shock. But uh, unfortunately, the... Uh, Formerly Woke King Goldberg <laughs> must be canceled. Uh, Dunzo. Dunzo. I think even Meltzer go. canceled him. Yeah. He got canceled big time by Meltzer. Meltzer is beautiful because he uh, defended Elgin but canceled Goldberg all in the same <laughs> issue. Yeah, that was wild. <laughs> Gotta love Big Dave. Yeah. So uh, Goldberg will not be popping up in uh, AEW anytime soon. You must be at least this not canceled to attend Double or Nothing. <laughs> he failed the test. Very good. I mean, I, it's what Jericho was on like the last uh, Saudi Arabia show, or I suppose two shows ago. Um, yeah, this stinks because uh, Goldberg would have been cool in AEW. And uh, 
you know, him going to Saudi Arabia to make $2 million to do a utterly meaningless match and throw away his whole, you know, uh, previous final run. Um, I think it's sad. You know, it was sad when Shawn Michaels did it. It just shows that absolutely nothing means anything in that company except Vince McMahon and making more money. Um, so, yeah, this is a bummer. It's wild because Goldberg didn't, like, chase the uh, WWE dollars over the years. Yeah, he wasn't there all the time. Yeah. He kind of wanted to save his uh, save his star for when he could, I guess, make the most money or whatever, you know. He wasn't just going to show up every time to get a paycheck. And uh, now suddenly it's, yeah, it is rumored that it's a $2 million paycheck. Uh, but for such a uh, shitty country, <laughs> a <laughs> shitty group of people, uh <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't yeah. think that's a hot take. No, no, no. They're going to be they're going to be inviting uh, Aaron Bentley to the embassy in Turkey. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, too soon, too soon, Nate. Okay, Dave Batista. <laughs> My just losing it. <laughs> oh gosh, Dave Batista will also not be showing up in AEW. But uh, the Observer Newsletter reported that he had talks with AEW who offered him a large amount of money, but instead, for some ungodly reason, he wanted to finish his career with a uh, never-ending walk and brawl with Triple H at WrestleMania. He had to get his nose ring pulled out. He was so committed to that that he had to have Triple H do it versus Chris Jericho, I guess. I mean, I get where formerly woke King Dave Batista was coming from about <laughs> that before the this mania match he said like he wanted to end things on his terms and he wanted to do it that way but uh that's all i could say like if he wasn't really someone that I considered on the radar but it was someone that I thought could have had some really interesting stuff just because i was a big dave batista fan i thought he always was pretty good i love hosses and just like the idea of what could happen if kenny omega or cody rhodes face off against Batista and AEW. Like that was an interesting thing to me. And then, then he has to go have a 40 minute when you combine it at an entrance is just nap match. So whatever, he is also canceled slightly. <laughs> yeah, he's canceled. He's canceled, sis. Canceled. Would have loved to see him say, I will uh, come back to WWE, but I want my last match to be me beating Daniel Bryan. <laughs> I think that would have been cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess I guess this just goes to show you can't uh, take people's tweets to be re uh, representative of their actual positions or something because you know he did a fair amount of bitching about the WWE and Triple H and all that stuff in his various media appearances over the years. But then when it came down to brass tacks, it was all that he seemed to care about was the WWE and Triple H. Um, so I'm glad you got no uh, no lines at Avengers Endgame, Dave. That's what you deserve. <laughs> well, he is like basically a WWE created person, right? Yeah, I suppose. Came up through their development, de developmental. He probably really, I don't think he's like sitting around watching uh, Dragon Gate tapes or anything. You know, I'm not sure that wrestling means much to him outside of WWE. Sure. So it kind of makes sense from that perspective for him to be like, eh, I'd like to just finish it up here. And obviously he's also making some decent money doing movies now. So he really doesn't need to wrestle. 
But he's going to have to turn in a hell of a performance in Dune to get uncanceled. In my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> but Dave, if you're listening, those are the stakes, my man. Those are the stakes. Okay, we have some other people who are apparently finishing up on the indies. Where are they going? We don't know. We might have some guesses. Actually, some of these we do know. Uh, Joey Ryan finishing up on the indies. Is he for sure coming to AEW? So Meltzer seemed to have some doubt. He said the WWE offered him after his Lucha Underground contract got released. Um, you would think that he'd be automatic for AEW, given that he's been a being the elite cast member for, you know, 100 episodes or something. Um, but it, it's also, if they're going for a sports-oriented product, then he would be one of the most awkward fits because he's primarily a famous dick wrestler. So... <laughs> You know, I guess to, I just we don't have the information to say conclusively one way or the other. Um, but uh, that's funny if, you know, the WWE after after all Joey Ryan's time and WSX and uh, TNA and all this would be funny if this is what got him into the WWE finally. But can you imagine this guy in WWE? Yeah, because NXT is all like goofy. No way Jose characters and conga lines and shit, right? But it ain't dicks. Um, you can't do the dick bit. That's over. I could see him being a player coach in NXT. I mean, he is an older guy. He was in the old Anoki dojo with all the SoCal people back in the day. So, and he's arguably, I mean, you might find his shtick terrible, but he understands how to get things meme over. So, I could see a place for him as a coach, and I could. I don't know if I can see him on TV though. So I, I think it's kind of crazy that Lucha Underground contracts have just been this huge giant impediment for everyone, considering that I don't think they've had a show recorded in what 18 months now? Is it? I think it's like 18 months. And apparently those this hold that they might all have it will be up by the end of the summer. So it's just wild to me that. In 2019, we're talking about Joey Ryan as this huge will he or won't he free agent. Well, this is the time. Like, WWE is handing out crazy money and breaking their own pay scale just to kind of spite AEW or stop people from going there. So, I don't know. If they want to hand you a bunch of money, it's up to you whether, whether you want to cash a big check. Uh, Joey Janela sent out a tweet today, I believe. He said, this last indie run isn't about money to me. It's 100% about heart, my fans, and proving that I'm one of the absolute best wrestlers doing it. This summer will be one to remember. He forgot MDK at the end of that. Uh, we we kind of been told that Joey was going to be able to keep doing stuff, but now he's calling this his last indie run. What are we supposed to take from that? Yeah, I think what this suggests is you know, maybe he's going to be full-time roster, but they're still going to let him lend his name to uh, Lauderdale to book GCW shows. Um, so, yeah, I guess maybe he's not going to be quite as independent a contractor as we once believed. Um, and, yeah, you know, maybe in three years' time, the annual uh, AEW ex-CEO show will just be branded a Janela Spring Break. Ooh. Well... I think it goes along with what they've been saying all along, which is that the people who need the reps, they want to have out working. But a guy like Janela, you know, is a, a pretty veteran wrestler. So not really a guy you need to be out working every weekend to make sure that he's fresh. 
Yeah, and I remember seeing that there was talk about MLW still having people like MJF work. And if that's the case, I mean, that was a pre-existing contract. And if they're going to play it nicely, I don't see a reason not to have someone who's only three years in wrestling like Joey Janela, not Joey Janela, sorry, MJF under an exclusive deal in Pelham from these bookings when he's someone that seems like he could still really use it. All right, Pentagon and Phoenix also seem to be finishing up on the indies and will be exclusive in the United States to AEW. And that's a little surprising to me, I think. I'm not sure that I expected them to be completely full-time with uh, AEW, but looks like that's where we're going. Yeah, I, uh, it's been more surprising to me that they continued to work like three shows a week and uh, work at the incredible pace that especially Phoenix did. Um, so this, I mean, this makes sense to me in that, um, you know, stars of their talent and caliber and fame shouldn't be working that many times a week in, you know, Legion halls and shit. Hard to agree. Our last person that is kind of finishing up, apparently Tessa Blanchard did a curtain call at the most recent uh, impact show. Uh, there's no, well, WWE has decided not to sign her in the past. That doesn't mean they're not thinking about signing her now. But it does lead you to believe more that she's headed to AEW. But we don't really have any signs pointing either way as far as I know. Yeah, she... I mean, I've seen Tessa do um, curtain calls at shows in the past that just never actually took. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, she was on All In One. She is, you know, among the top... Western women's stars. She's a good worker. She carries herself like a star. So you would have to think there'd be a place for her at one of these top companies. Dave certainly has been said she's imminent for the WWE for, you know, going on three years or something. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, if this is a genuine curtain call, then got to think that maybe WWE backed up the Brinks truck or she's going to, you know, come be a uh, main fixture in AEW. I guess. What makes me skeptical about AEW is I think she was probably on the market or available when they started doing these signings and, you know, vignettes and promos and stuff for Double or Nothing. So, you know, why not have her out in front um, earlier in the process? But maybe I just don't have the, the time frame right and she was already under impact contract or something. Yeah, I don't know about that because it also makes me think she was on All In. The other person that I'm shocked they haven't signed is uh, Jordan Grace, who I guess is also under impact contract, but was also an all in. I've kind of jumbled this up, but they have kind of similar situations to me, except that I think Jordan Grace is a lot better. Yeah. Jordan Grace was also, seems like she signed with impact after we all pretty much knew that AEW was going to be a thing. But again, I might just be, uh, you know, fuzzy on the timeline. Exactly. Great match he just had with, uh, or it was a good match with uh, Chihiro Hashimoto in Sendai Girls. All right. <laughs> there you go. Didn't Jordan see it. Grace. Yeah, I'm shocked. I, I'm only new into Joshi. I, I'm going step by step. So I started yeah. to start him. I'll move to Sendai. Maybe I'll no, do. Sendai's not your next step. Trust me. Okay. What? What? I have to start watching Tokyo Joshi Pro. Is that my next one? Hey, there's a show tonight. That's probably Follow me on step. Twitter for live tweets. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sendai Girls is tough because it doesn't make tape that often. I see. Okay. And when it does, it's like 
a long time after the show that it kind of comes out on Nico or rarely on Samurai. And they run Corican like once a year. Yeah, because I remember that when Mako was doing stuff with Fight Club Pro, she kind of was doing it through uh, uh, Sendai Girls. And there was a rumor that with OWE originally it was through Mako's connection, but now it's Russell One and J Stage. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's a cool promotion, though. A lot of good talent. But Nate refuses to watch anything that he can't watch live. So No, I mean, give me a break. It takes weeks to make tape. Yeah, right. There's been 60 shows in that time. I know. I know. Uh, we were, I was excited that the, the 416 Corican made tape on 427. Only had to wait 11 days to watch that one. It's effective. The show's dead to me at that point. <laughs> I know. I know. That's why I didn't even tell you about it until now. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about Leo Rush, the man of the hour. A lot of WWE talk on this episode, but I think it's relevant. So if you haven't been paying attention or if you, if you missed this, a lot of drama around Leo Rush, uh, some allegations that he has heat backstage uh, related to refusing to do like rookie hazing type tasks. And also maybe he had his wife backstage somewhere she wasn't supposed to be. I don't know. I didn't really care about that. Here was the interesting thing to me. This is from Leo Rush to Fightful.com. Uh, I sounded like this was, he just DM'd them <laughs> and started uh, spilling his guts. So thanks, Leo, for that. So he says, my issue has never been with Bobby Lashley. Being with Bobby has helped both of us out tremendously. It's, well, I don't care about this part. He says, my issue isn't with my on-screen role. My issue is the fact that I haven't been on meet and greets with Bobby. Haven't been getting paid for merchandise for us that has my catchphrases on it. I have been sent to live shows and TVs and forced to pay for my own rental for five days, as well as hotel, while not making enough money to do so. Walking around broke in the biggest sports entertainment industry that there is while having two kids and a wife to support. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> if, if you it's turned out from a lot of the discourse that a lot of people don't understand the deal in WWE. So mm, yeah, quickly to summarize, yes, sometimes they will pay to fly you to places, right? Like to fly you to TV or whatever, mm -hmm. but your travel once you're there is on you. So your hotels are on you. Your driving to the next town is on you. I think they basically just get you back from home. Yeah, and the exception is their international tours. The international tours, they have buses, right. and they take care of hotels. But basically, unless you are a main eventer and have it written in your contract that you pay for hotel suite or you're someone who has a bus that's supplied by them, you get a coach ticket unless you have enough miles to upgrade yourself. Right, and so that also means you're paying for meals. There's no per diem. You know, all the, all the travel expenses are on the uh, independent contractors, right? So what Leo is saying here is that once he pays for rentals, rental cars, pays for hotels, he's just not making enough money. I mean, that he's like not even breaking even, or you know, barely breaking even, which is not a new thing. No. A friend of the show, David Bixenspan, posted uh, some stuff earlier today about, of course, I, I should have had this pulled Shane up. Shane Douglas. Shane Douglas yeah. making similar complaints. So this isn't a new thing, and it's some. I mean, we know, we don't know, but we have a good sense of what some of the lower card people are making. 
Right. And when you add up all these travel costs, it's just not enough money. And Leo's not a wrestling talent, to my understanding, for the most part. He's mostly a manager. Yeah. So he's not making Monday Night Raw money. He's maybe making NXT Plus money. And I don't know if his wife has an income, but he's got kids to take care of. Then, uh, you know, if you're how much money is he spending on the road a year for flights and cars and hotels? Like it's got to be tens of thousands of dollars, you know, 50 thousands of dollars. I don't know. Yeah. And on top of that, it's been reported from former wrestlers that were with the company and other people that the whole WWE payment system because the thing is you you sign your contract and you agree for this is the minimum amount i'm going to be making this year and this is it's called a downside and a lot of these contracts are actually signed when they make the main roster so nxt people they have their nxt contract and nxt people have all of if they're going on tour it's all covered by wwe at that point it's important to say that they don't have their planes covered like main roster members but they also cover their transportation they cover their hotel rooms i don't know about meals and per diem but i get the idea that that's the case i mean also to be fair when you're at wwe tapings you have meals catered there but it's not necessarily like hey i'm going to charge this to my room at this chicken breast my room at 2 a.m and then bill it to wwe it's not that it's not three meals a day yeah it's not three free meals yeah (laughs) so but the big thing is is that with how this system was all built up was that you would get your downside is what you're going to be paid guaranteed, but you'd be had the potential of making more because Vince McMahon had an archaic system based on his percentage of houses. And, and then it would also have pay-per-view buys your, your merch, and then also video game deals and all that. That's completely gone to hell because there's no pay-per-view anymore. The video game price, one which used to be a upwards of someone that I've been really listening to the IW podcast. And there's this great question and answer with Hornswoggle where he talks straight up about his finances. And he's like the, the biggest paycheck I ever got was my mania bonus that also had a, that also had a, a WWE 2K deal, which was $8,000. But most weeks I was getting my $500 downside. Oh. So, and let, they should be registering themselves because they're quote, independent contractors they should be registering the serves like an llc or like a company just to, to get their liability out of the way and then bill everything to that and pay their taxes out of that but that's probably not happening and then oh, i doubt it and then like hearing this about leo rush someone who's very young he has a young family and the fact that in the back of my head i'm thinking he might be making fifteen hundred dollars a week and that's and that's not his take home because as david bick said Dixon's fan said it was like it was take home for Shane Douglas in the 90s was $1,600 over three months or so. But yeah, yeah, no, it's a completely broken system. And it's something that I don't know if they're really willing to give the wrestlers actual equity because right now their revenue split is 12%, which is insane. All the TV money is coming in and professional wrestlers get about 12% of it. So also interesting to keep an eye on um, was the California Supreme Court ruled today that the new independent contractor test that was uh, enunciated by the uh, California Supreme Court in the Dynamex Operations West case last year applies retroactively. So we're going to see a lot of 
California independent contractors, like for you know Uber or Lyft or Postmates or something, are going to have a easier time and more of a presumption that they are employees as compared to independent contractors. Um, so I think this is perhaps not directly related to pay, but it's certainly related to the benefits that uh, someone should get when they are working 300 days a year for the WWE. That's fascinating. I hadn't uh, seen that decision. So here's why all that's relevant to this show, to All Elite Wrestling, the Elite Extended Universe. Basically, WWE has been able to do this for so long because they had no competition. The workers had no leverage. What were they going to do? Go home. That's it. Find something else to do. Go work the indies, which isn't a great payday unless, you know, you're certain types of people. You know, there are guys who've left WWE and have not made a living on the indies. So what we're seeing now, though, is talent that is lower on the totem pole, lower on the card, starting to get offered more money. There's a report that the Revival were offered $500,000 per year for five years each. Two and a half million dollars for each member of the Revival. That's insane, first of all. But it yeah. goes to show you what's, what's different now. With AEW popping up, Ring of Honor's been spending money. Obviously, New Japan is more interested in signing uh, foreign wrestlers. So what's happening is we're seeing WWE having to break their own pay scale. I mean, the best example is Leo Rush, right? Here's a guy who's telling us he can't support his family on his WWE pay. Well, there's a report out today that Leo's been offered $300,000 per year, which he rejected and demanded $600,000 per year. Go so that's off, Leo. That's not, yeah, that's not crazy to me. The revival, getting that much money is not crazy to me. What's crazy to me is Leo Rush doing cameos and every other WWE talent doing cameos for, you know, $25 to $50. Like, that's that's crazy to me. That's crazy. Dude, that you can... Come on, $500,000 for those guys is crazy. A piece? I mean... They were a non-pushed entity until they... But they should be. You, you really can't uh, objectively judge because... A lot of people should be stars in that company that mm -hmm. are worthless because of that company's practices and how they uh, present and book talent. Like, if the if the WWE were just you know somewhat competent like NXT, then those guys would be worth ten times what they are now. So, well, sure, I'm just saying if you look at where people are on the card, and right, you but pay... that's all. That's all. They're that. But they're that low right. on the card, you know, in part because they want out now at this point. Oh yeah, um, but yeah, that, I mean, just guys who are working for a billion-dollar corporation um, who has a million hours of television on soon-to-be network television should be making hundreds of thousands of dollars um, and not taking half of that to pay for their road expenses. They should not be, you know, saying happy birthday to people for twenty-five dollars on their phone. That's like you, nobody's a star when you're doing that. It's like sorry. One thing about the the now that we've seen some figures that have come out for both the revival and Leo Rush, I've looked into this a little bit. You know, there's it's kind of hard to find out how much people are being paid, but there's reasonable expectations, and then some things that have been reported. Each individual member of the revival 
probably would be paid if they got this $500,000 outside WE. So we're not counting anyone there. They'll be paid about the same as a top 30 to top 25 wrestler in the world. Like the amount of money that they could, that they would be making if this contract was in a different promotion, excluding WWE would make them one of the top 30 paid wrestlers in the world. Like that, that's how much the scale is breaking because WWE's pay scale influenced the rest of the industry with the exception of New Japan, some Lucha Libre, and then a couple members of other Japanese promotions. And then there's oh, a couple no. of members in ROH that might be making six figures, but not half a million dollars a year. I was going to say, are there 10 wrestlers outside of WWE making seven figures a year? Uh, I can think of three in New Japan. Seven figures in Mexico is kind of tough. I can think of three in New Japan. Is there any tag team pulling down a million dollars a year in the world? Nah, not to my knowledge. Well, no. Tadahashi and Okada were tagging for a little bit last <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Okay, there we go, Nate. But a, lawyer. But guys who don't work, I know that sometimes some of the Revival guys have to work singles on main event, I guess, but non-singles workers. Is there a tag team in the world making that kind of money? I mean, I guess the Young Bucks now, but, you know, they're all a little <laughs> different. Uh, I mean, they they were probably making seven figures last year, too, though. Before the AEW, they were making seven figures. I, I think we can say with confidence. I don't think so. Now with merch money on top of Ring of Honor and New Japan? I think that they made high six figures, like above 500000 but I don't think they made a million each. Okay. I don't think Kenny made a million each either, but that's just me speculating. I'm probably wrong. Well, there you go. It's just the point I wanted to make is that they are AEW. You know, people made such a stink about uh, about other people calling AEW competition, and it's not that AEW is going to show up on television and and outdraw WWE's ratings, which uh, maybe it is. But it's just that they are forcing them to change their business practices. There's no question about it. You can't question that. You're an idiot if you think. <laughs> They are not making WWE act differently. They are. Yeah. They were paying, they're right now paying Leo Rush, you know, less than $100,000 a year, I'd say. And now they're offering him $300,000 a year for a manager. So this is completely changing the game. And we're seeing that uh, these workers have leverage now. Now it's also, I, I, well, this isn't the way it's changing a game, but this is a way that some other people are reacting, which I think is interesting. Stacy Irvin Jr., who was an NXT guy, was a gymnast, ended up on NXT, had a, had a concussion or some sort of head injury, and started to make him think about leaving the business because I guess he said he hadn't really suffered any injuries as a gymnast. So he was already starting to think, to think about leaving, but then he saw the John Oliver piece about WWE's treatment of independent contractors. And uh, reportedly he said that was the final straw that he definitely did not want to be involved uh, in wrestling and probably not a guy who kind of like the Batista thing. What I was saying was he, this is a WWE creation. I'm not sure he's going to be dialing up the young bucks to see if they want to let him, um, uh, you know, do his, his gymnast flips there, but it's just interesting that this stuff is coming to light and WWE is losing talent or changing business practices or both. All right. 
Unfortunately, I'm going to do one more topic about WWE. (laughs) It's a pretty strong labor week, to be honest. Like, it is. I'm glad. I know. I'm sad in some ways that the bad treatment is happening, but I'm glad that some of this has come to light. So, yeah. And I wish I wish Aaron Tab were here. Well, he had a birthday yesterday. So, (laughs) he he's on assignment. A guy I used to know. Uh, Okay. Did you just? I'm sorry. I'm yeah, now I doing just, the production that, meeting on the. On I the just air. plugged in all that Luke Harper info. Yeah. Okay, Luke Harper. I get. We're gonna have two more WWE topics. I'm sorry. You're listening. You're not. You don't care. You're happy. <laughs> <laughs> Luke Harper. Vince McMahon told him in writing that he would not release him. This is according to Dave Luke, Meltzer. Hold on to that piece of writing. Yeah, absolutely. Forever. Uh, and basically, what we get here in this report from. Dave, which I presume came straight from Luke Harper, is that he was earmarked for a program with Zane, Sami Zayn after WrestleMania, but then they were told him they weren't going to do it, sent him home, brought him back out for TV uh, to work an EC3 match, and then basically said they had nothing for him. And apparently uh, Vince's big problem with Luke Harper is that he can't do a Southern accent. So now I'm wondering if this is code now and uh, and maybe Vince was saying, oh, we can't let him go to AEW. That's Southern territory down there that the roads is running. Maybe oh. that's what he was talking about. I'm totally joking, but. Oh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I assume it's just Vince looks at him and thinks, oh, he might, he's a Southerner, you know, like even though he's from New York. Uh, but apparently that's what led to, you know, he figured out he wasn't going to be on either brand. Uh, that's when he asked for his release. And then this this mania stuff came up. So it. You know, the way Dave writes, it's a little out of order, but that's what's going on with him. It's just, you know, these practices are continuing in a lot of ways because they're so worried about guys uh, leaving and going to competition, even guys that they refuse to use. Yeah, we talked about this, I think, last week um, and them freezing contracts for injuries and, you know, time off the road, Um, contrary to what we would probably conclude is lawful. So oh, yeah, and there's going to be a reckoning. That, yeah, I I think we're closer than we've ever been to a reckoning on these labor issues, and it's going to happen. Either it's either going to be forced by AEW in some way, or Fox is going to pull out of this television deal because they'll have you know some contract clause that you know the ratings can't get to this or whatever. Or when that money runs out, and the next TV deal has to come. I mean, we're seeing the WWE stock plummet. We're seeing the ratings as low as they've been in a long time. And when the next TV deal comes, because Vince isn't going to change course. <laughs> so when the next TV deal comes, they're going to lose so much money. Yeah, and that's really, um, Dave uh, emphasized, the next TV deal is really the important one at this juncture because they've got, Guaranteed money on at some level with Fox for the you know foreseeable future, but after that, it's going to be an entirely new landscape. Um, the bloom is off the rose as far as wrestling as compared to live sports. Um, so yeah, I mean it's uh, the you know the, I think they're wise to be expanding their international footprint and becoming the official sport of Saudi Arabia, you know from an economic <laughs> position anyway, uh, and they'd be well served to do the same in India. Um, cause yeah. it's, you know, their, their relevance in the U S is, um, at a rapid decline. And I think that, uh, you know, leads into our next point. Well, yeah. 
let me, I'm sorry, let me say first, if there are any pro wrestlers listening who work for WWE, or if someone is listening who knows someone who works for WWE, now, today, is the time to unionize. It's the time to come together and speak as one to your management because the money that WWE has is never going to get better. This TV deal is the end of the road. <laughs> and when it collapses, and it will, your leverage is going to collapse. Because we're not going to be able to have these bidding wars because they're going to have to lock up their top talent to try to force another TV deal. And all these people who are sitting around in NXT, all these people at the low end of the card who aren't on TV or just barely on TV, you're just going to be gone. There's going to be nowhere for you to go. Today is the day that you have to take advantage of this billion-dollar contract, all the, this news about their awful business practices. It's all coming to light. The ground has never been softer. You got to do it today. That's all. That's my, that's my rant for today. Nicely done. Well, what was the saying goes? The best day to unionize was yesterday, but the next best day is today. That's right. So, yeah, absolutely. And one thing also is that before we kind of move off WWE in a couple minutes, their stock price is still so overinflated because of these expectations. And now we're seeing the pullback. The pullback was inevitable. This was an overinflated stock probably by a good $30. So there's no floor. There's no floor for this. There's no floor for this. And it's just one of those things that this money is somehow guaranteed. You have a revenue share, which when I talk about revenue share, I'm talking about money coming in from the broadcast deals. The traditional four sports are within 48 to 52% of the TV rights deals. WWE has been said, we don't know particulars, that's somewhere between 12 and 18%. 12 or 18% of this billion dollars is only 48 million. So... The time is now. I mean, yeah, and that's that's to say nothing of the uh, you know Saudi Arabia money that yeah they're just yep. putting away in in the Donald Trump campaign fund. The up- the upcoming UK and India money that's going to go straight being a, a big Trump fundraiser. So I much rather see it in the wrestlers' pockets than you know in the big Trump fundraiser. And as much as I enjoy the misery of the McMahon family, <laughs> the real problem here. I mean, the the first big problem is it's really going to ultimately be bad for the wrestlers, very bad for the wrestlers, eventually. But the other problem is we're starting to see reports that this is going to have an effect, just as Nate predicted on our last show, or one of the more recent shows, this is starting to have an effect on AEW's negotiations. The TV industry is starting to think, wait a second, is there actually a real market for this wrestling stuff? Because they don't understand, they they probably don't understand, that the reason why AEW could be successful is because people are running away from WWE. And so if they get on it now, before those people become completely lapsed, they could create a strong product on television. But it may be that they start to struggle in their negotiations. Yeah, and this is, uh, Dave talked a lot about this on the uh, recent Observer Radio and today's Observer. Uh, it's really, you know, it could be a flip of the coin. This could be a huge um, point of inflection for AEW to capitalize on and say, hey, you know, very uh, 
the market's there for the taking right now. People are fleeing the WWE. They have, you know, it's dawned on them that it's bad, actually. And there are people that would want to give a new wrestling company a try. And maybe that's where they drive new live viewership. Um, but yeah, the other side of that coin is, uh, you know, maybe the, the TV networks in the market think, well, you know, wrestling is uh, not good for live viewership actually they you know we we know investors are stupid as evidenced by the how you know x many weeks of the wwe price going up maybe uh the tv executives are stupid and they say well if nobody will even watch the industry standard the wwe which they presume to be good and not unwatchable then who will you know watch a a b league of wrestling maybe they're going to think it's the you know uh, aaf instead of being wcw so yeah this is a bad time bad time but i mean that aaf stuff really i think could color this i think that's a great point so uh yeah we don't know which way it's going to go um you know you would hope maybe they actually do have the deal in ink uh but and just have not announced it yet uh there is uh, we didn't mention this i don't think during the discussion of the tony Khan interview last week but he did say pretty emphatically that you know we're going to be profitable. And in some ways he uh, insinuated that they're already ahead of their projections for profit or earnings in the, you know, initial plan that they had. Um, and I don't know how much stock we want to put in that, but you've got to hope that either they have their TV and it's not going to be affected by this downturn in the feds ratings or, you know, that, you know, somebody at Turner or wherever is smart and they say, Hey, now's the time to strike. You know, maybe we can, uh, do better in sort of a head-to-head matchup than we anticipated. Something that's worth keeping an eye on is May 15th, because that's when uh, Warner Media has their upfronts. If I'm not saying that I know anything, just saying that we've talked about upfronts before. They're within the next few weeks, and Warner Media's is in less than 13 days. Yeah, it'll be a big day. It'll be interesting. I, I'm of the mind that a deal is in place and has been in place. But, you know, calculating the possibility that there's not one in place, they should sign one today. (laughs) They should. (laughs) Because it's only going to get worse for WWE. And if that's having any effect, it's, yeah, I don't know. Could be bad. All right, let's stop talking about WWE. We have one more news note, uh, and this is a a Mike Spears special. So, uh, (laughs) Mike, take it away. All right. So... If you've been following on social media, uh, SoCal Uncensored is in uh, China right now, along with friend of the program, Chris Mukigana Harrington. And they are visiting OWE. They're visiting the partner that they've developed in China. And they're, I haven't heard definitively one way or the other, but there's talk that they might be the SCU. It's probably filming stuff for being the elite, to be honest, but there might also be performing at one of their Shanghai World Shows that we talked about a little bit. And things haven't been finalized for Double or Nothing, but we should probably know within the next week or so officially who the other OWE participants are in or who are going to be coming over for Double or Nothing in that six-man tag with SEU. So it'll be a lot more interesting probably next Monday or the week after for... uh, content on being the elite but yeah seu's there i hope mookie ghana is getting to check out some uh, 
archive media, maybe. Maybe it gets a couple of video CDs. Maybe it gets a couple of laser discs. But yeah, that they've been there. They've been helping out with training for the last few days. And I think they're staying, I think, for another couple more days. So I, th I think they're staying through the 5th. So, yeah. All right. Well, a lot more talk than we anticipated coming into this episode. But I got fired up, folks. Couldn't help it. But now it is time for the main event every week of this show. <laughs> yeah, so if we do this, if we conceive of this show as being reverse pyramid style, which is how they tell you to write sports coverage and articles, the most important stuff and the most you know recent newsworthy stuff is at the top. And then you do like a reverse pyramid down to the very least important stuff. I think <laughs> that's how I conceive more of how we do our shows um, oh. rather than, you know, wrestling style. It's just hard to, uh, it's hard to fit in this, recap in like a, you can't just kind of put it in the middle of the show no yeah it's tough and it's not sexy enough to lead off i don't think there could be weeks where it would well be. It's, it's just not timely enough to lead off because it's yeah, already been true. yeah that's true all right well whatever it is give it <laughs> all right um being the elite i did not note the episode uh title for this week um so you'll have we're to look as, and see what it we're is not as young as we used to be or something like that thank you got it Oh, you know what? I did notice just halfway down the paragraph. Okay. <laughs> uh, so this begins with Penta and Phoenix uh, cutting a promo in Spanish to the camera. They look very badass. The camera's like in black and white or something. And it's like, oh, yeah, hell yeah. We're getting like a badass Lucha promo right here. Uh, and then they get interrupted by the two finger pointy record producer guys who are recurring characters on the show. Um, you know, started back as like record producers that uh, berated Marty Skrull, and now we have some universes colliding here, uh, and they immediately interrupt this cold open and uh, you know sort of slam these two realities against each other uh, to a funny effect. I thought this is sort of like the you know ideal pro wrestling booking you do, where you're building up two acts in sort of their own separate vacuums, and then all of a sudden you slam them against each other, like uh, you know when they finally had the Shield versus the Wyatts that first time, or when they. Uh, that first time too cool got elevated and teamed with like the rock and sock connection and everybody. <laughs> oh, I saw this. It's like, Oh, we got the finger pointy guys and the Lucha brothers coming together. What a moment. I'm exaggerating a little. Sure. Uh, so the Lucha brothers, they're not fucking having it. They kick them out into a stairwell. Uh, this was one of the funnier bits in a while. This was great because it did play into that dichotomy. We've talked about of how double or nothing kind of has the more pro wrestling vibe. And this is like the goofier vibe. And it felt like we were getting a pro wrestling promo. And then they uh, jumped into it, like you explained. And it was like, okay, we're still on being the elite. So, and but I they also that. they did not job these guys to the finger pointy guys. Like, you know, if it were MJF <laughs> right. or, um, you know, somebody else, then the finger pointy guys would have buried them. But the Lucha Brothers, like, fuck you, get it fucking out of our locker room, curse <laughs> out of it, Spanish and stuff. So, yeah, effective. It was a great inversion of norms here because that's one of the tropes I'm not necessarily as big on and being the elite, but I like how they kind of turned it on its head and let the Lucha brothers look like badasses, which is important in wrestling is to look like a badass. Yeah, preach. All right, so we got Easter Sunday. The Young Bucks are at home in front of their garage. Matt and Nick are there in the desert. They said they have never really been at home for Easter with their kids. Um, it sounds like Matt has literally never been home for one of his child's uh, Easter's, which is like seven plus years or something. So they're really celebrating getting having a nice moment with their family. People like this stuff. Um, 
they do a funny thing. They put merchandise money in the eggs. Maybe, yeah, maybe they didn't make a million dollars last year because they put like $500 in the eggs, which is certainly a lot of money. But, uh, you know, maybe not millionaire money. Um, so, yeah, this is funny. There's <laughs> the, the Bucks also walk a fine line of like doing the uh, stunting and flossing thing with all the money they make and still also trying to remain like likable. Yeah, it's they're like natural heels, right? Yes, they're natural. They're I think they're natural heels, but they have proved themselves to be very smart in how well they market themselves as babyface uh, babyface actors behind the characters. Right. But it's like you could easily see them being a little too much on yes. this. Like, this is how much money we make. And mm-hmm. so, it, they, I mean, they they straddled that line early in their career, but like wrestling fans decided it was cool. Or, you know, early in their, this part mm-hmm. of their career. Yes. But the wrestling fans decided it was cool instead. Uh, the yeah. funniest thing about this to me was they're like, oh yeah, we put $500 in these eggs. And then, we see the kids with the money and some of them have change. You got to have one egg with a, you know, a full hundo in it. And then you got to have like 30 cents <laughs> in another one. I, I, I like to imagine that on, you know, they've been home for the longest time of their career that they might've went out and got a cup of coffee. And it's like, Oh no, this is going into the, the Easter egg fun. It's like, Oh, this is my extra 131 leftover from my caramel macchiato. Well, this sounds good for an egg. And that's how they they made it up to. It's like, yeah, they have like one hundo and a couple twenties, but then the rest of it is their leftover change from, you know, just going to grab food, you know, just running errands. I, th- I think that's 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 how I imagine myself being a father if that ever happens. <laughs> it's just funny to me because you're not getting change at the merch table. Yeah. I don't get change at all. Fuck change. I throw change away. I hate change. <laughs> that's a shoot. All right. Uh, the, the Brandon Cutler, he approaches Peter Avalon. They're outside in California somewhere. There's like a fence and there appears to be a brook or a creek behind them. Um, Brandon Cutler just sort of seems to be like a generic character here, not him, not his actual self from the Road to Double or Nothing vignette. Brandon wants a selfie with Peter Avalon because he recognizes him as the librarian. Um, and he says, oh, I'm so happy there are two of you, which really confuses Peter Avalon. So then we cut to Leva Bates having a uh, similar experience. Some guy approaches her and congratulates her on being the librarian, but she also has not been included in the fact that there are two librarians. Um, so this advances. Uh, Leva, Leva's comedic timing left a little bit to be desired. She was a little too quick on every line read. But right. did hmm. you notice her shirt? No. Was it? What, what do you like that you would like? What was on the shirt? It was a BTS shirt. Oh, really? Okay. I don't go for the boy groups. I don't either, but I was like, oh, it's K-pop. Apparently, I might be the only army member on this show. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, now you somebody did. Somebody was talking about her entering to BTS or something, maybe, or maybe she did a cosplay. So that okay, that makes Ooh. sense. It's coming together. Got it. We need a. Uh, we need for double or nothing. We need downstate to cover a Blackpink song or something. Oh yeah, they could do that like the the rock version of did it did it do? No, maybe uh, kill this love is more just like a, no. Kinda... <laughs> just said no and just move. No, well, I mean that's like it's like rock, but it's really like dub the remix. Um, but kill this love's got like some big fucking hooks in it. All right, hmm. um, Christopher Daniels, uh, he he's without Kaz and Scorpio Sky wherever he is, so he 
has enlisted some random people off camera to do a bit with him because he's got to do his BTE bit this week. Uh, it's Kylie Ray and Penelope Ford. Kylie is like super fired up to do this bit with Christopher Daniels. And she's like, you know, kind of bouncing up and down and like smiling. But then she can't actually endorse the bit because she likes whatever town they're in. It's not the worst town that she's ever been in. Uh, Penelope is, you know, real and authentic and she fucking buries the town. She can't wait to get back to Philadelphia, but then this causes CD to turn on her because, of course, Philadelphia is not in Southern California. Um, but then Penelope and Kylie come to an agreement. They think that uh, Southern California is actually bad because of all the traffic and the expenses and the smog, they say together. So cute little delivery on the smog line. Funny bit. I like this part a lot. Uh, nice to see Penelope again. Now we've got a new full gear check-in with uh, Adam Page. He's doing two a days now, but as he's saying this into the camera, he drops the facade. He's actually depressed that he's both fat and skinny. Um, I think <laughs> they did, I think, kind of a good job giving them coverage on like this. I mean, Cody's like fine doing the body shaming bit anyway, but they did make this more comedic just by saying, oh, you need to get tighter and bigger. You need to get, you know, more ripped and smaller, which is kind of makes it funny and more uh, surreal. Um. So then we cut to Nick watching this check-in with Paige where he's all depressed. Nick asks Matt if they have Adam's new address. So we think they're going to send him something or visit him or we'll find out. Nick uses iMovie like a jabroni and not a real video editing program. Yeah, well, they, they used to just do it on their phone. So got to yeah. have the same software. And this goes back to production. You can see differences in quality if you use actual equipment and not phones. Okay, sorry. Great delivery from. Page. I, yeah, I have to long. say, we were we were like, uh, um, I don't know, we did we did praise the DIY aesthetic like probably within the last ten episodes. So Mike taking a heel turn here on BTE. No, I'm wow. saying true to my core. I'm. A, I don't know. I think if we check that episode one, we we might hear differently from you. Oh no, I've always been up on road twos. Now, production wise, I mean, I right. I know what it is here, so I'm check not necessarily. Let's check the tape. All right. <laughs> Uh, we've got Cody and Brandy there at the Jaguars practice facility. Um, we talked about this a little last week that they were coming into Jacksonville to do part of their draft event for the Jaguars. Um, Paige is just like doing flips in the back on the field. Uh, and Cody buries him and calls him fat and shit. Um, it, this was just, it seemed like they were having actual fun here and laughing it up. So this is kind of funny. Uh, we saw this when they did the Janela bit in this same building. It's just loud as fuck in this building. There's a lot of buzzing for, I don't know why there would always be buzzing in this building, but there is. It's because it's an, it has, it's like a climate controlled like indoor facility. All of them have like the air pressure. That's what's going mm, on there. They need windscreens. <laughs> and folks, the big news out of the Jacksonville Jaguars draft. What is it, mate? I don't know. I don't watch football. They drafted Kentucky legend. Josh Allen coming Congrats. to the Jaguars. Congrats to the great state of Kentucky. It's huge. Josh Allen, a two-star recruit out of high school, recruited by one school, Kentucky. Now he's in oh, He made good. He made good. Local kid made good. He's actually he's, he's from Montclair, New Jersey. Even uh, Rutgers would not recruit him. That's nice. actually an indictment both <laughs> on Kentucky and Rutgers right there. No, they saw – what he was going to be. Sure, yeah. And you know, actually, who was a two-star recruit who ended up being an NFL Hall of Famer and had several national championships? Josh Ed Allen. Reed. <laughs> Ed, Ed Reed. Well, Go Canes. Go Canes. 
C A T S, cats, cats, cats. Uh, I'm now a Jaguars fan. Thank you. Go Jags. Go Jags. All right. Um, They're also cats, so it really works for my aesthetic. Thank you. Sure. Uh, Matt Jackson, he's wearing a Toon Squad jersey, uh, and he's going through more of these Fighter Fest expenses that have been made on the company card. Um, there's like $2,500 for organic salmon as opposed to inorganic salmon. Uh, we got the Kenny who's wearing his garish razor hat. I mean, all razor equipment is garish, so no surprise there. He's making more calls on his Kindle. Uh, Kenny wants Blink-182 and Skrillex and Hikaru Utada to do the Kingdom Hearts theme together at Fighter Fest. That was kind of funny. Uh, and then he, he goes off on some thing about an Aerocast reunion or something. I don't know what the reference was. I couldn't find it. I'm not about it. I love that Kenny is the worst actor on the, the cast. <laughs> but the best part of this was when he said, uh, thanks for calling me on the landline. <laughs> <laughs> that popped me. I liked it. Yeah, pretty silly. Um, yeah, he's very goofy. All right, we've got uh, Matt and Nick are now going to the Fit Body Boot Camp, and they want to get in better shape because of the upcoming match at Double or Nothing. The Lucha Brothers are out here working three or four times a week. The Fit Body Boot Camp is apparently run by Dustin Bogle, who seems like some influence guy or influencer guy or something because they gave him a bug with his name on it. Uh, he's uh, Dustin Cutler's brother. Brandon, Brandon Cutler's brother? Yeah, he's Brandon Cutler's brother. Okay. Mm. They have different names. Well, one of them's a work name. <laughs> okay. Uh, that Pretty, great, I mean. delivery for Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you look at Brandon Cutler and you're not like, oh, it's a fake name. I don't know. All right, fair <laughs> enough. You got you got the facts. Um, so they do a bunch of drills in this boot camp thing. Uh, I think the impressive thing here was they have really good vertical leaps. You're like reminded that the young bucks are, oh yeah, these guys are genuine athletes. Here's where you get your episode title. Matt says to Nick, we're not young like we used to be. Uh, and they, they make the choice to cut in some of the AAA footage here. Um, they do a cute little thing where they super kick a medicine ball and then uh, they're doing pull-ups on the pull-up bar and they do a Rana to Dustin off of the pull-up bar. Um, and then they do a little uh, lucha exchange here. Matt says they have to brush up on their lucha. So they're uh, running off like the box jump boxes and pretending it's the ropes and doing these arm drags and stuff. That was kind of cool to see. Um, kind of a long segment, but uh, yeah, kind of cute. I guess it's the, the workout segments are a staple of pro wrestling builds, so I'm not going to complain about it. All right. We cut to Trent, who is calling Matt, the renewed Trent. Um, Trent wants to know what he and Dustin are doing on this show. Uh, much like All in One, they did not make a clear plan for the best friends leading up to the show with all these announcements, and they sort of booked them in the Battle Royal at the last minute. And here we see that Matt and Nick have again forgotten to actually book the best friends on this show. Nick is briefly confused. Uh, did we sign him? Which was funny. Um, so they, they tell him, they say, yeah, we've got something great for you guys. Pre-show Battle Royal. Uh, you know, just do the hug spot and the Okada zoom out and it'll be over huge. Trent uh, is, of course, a pusher over here. And it's just like, oh, yeah, it sounds great, guys. Uh, he's just happy to be here. Keeps saying he's happy to be here. We cut to him um, and he's like shaking and about to cry because he's just in this pre-show battle royal again. Uh, he lights a cigarette and starts smoking. And then we cut to Dustin and his dog, the other Dustin, the Chuck Taylor Dustin. 
and he's smoking also. He says, there ain't no way we're doing a battle royal. Uh, and then we get a graphic that says they're definitely both in the battle royal. <laughs> Dustin's dog. The dog yeah. is cute. Uh, yeah, There's some, some funny photos of the dog at the bar with Orange Cassidy <laughs> on Chuck's uh, Twitter. So go check that out if you haven't. That was the best bit of the uh, of the episode. Yeah, I I was wondering what was going to happen with them. So I'm glad that we have at least some assurance of that. But can well, we give the best friends some respect? Well, I kind of appreciate that. They obviously don't have a spot for them, really, but they've still made it a story to follow. You know, mm-hmm. this is sort of the, I think I analogized BTE kind of to um, Vince Russo booking in that if you just give, if you just make a point of people doing something, even if it's not something important, it gives you a arc for them to follow. So presumably now they have to advance from the battle Royal and that becomes a uh, point of emphasis for them. <laughs> yeah. Hope so. I'm looking forward to it. They got to be on the, like they got to actually have a match on the June show. Come on. With uh, the first one, which one comes first? Is it Fight for the Fallen first? Fighter Fest first. You Fight know. for the right. Fallen's first. Fight for Mike the Spears, Fallen. again with the facts. That's what I'm here for, guys. Production facts and just facts in general. Face the facts. <laughs> yep. Okay. Well, is that all of BTE? That's all of BTE. All right. You're, that was your main event, folks. There's the bottom of your inverted pyramid. <laughs> there we go. Okay. Well, this is a long episode for us. So, but there was, there was a lot of good uh, stuff to talk about. So hope everyone enjoyed it. We are of course getting closer and closer to actually being able to talk about some wrestling. So looking forward to that. Make sure that you're subscribed. You're getting these episodes on Thursday night, Friday morning, whenever uh, Mike gets them out doing the great editing work that he does. And very quick, might I add, you can subscribe just to our feed or to the entire voices of wrestling podcasting network feed and still get our show. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at everything AEW. If you're listening to us on iTunes, go give us a rating, a five-star rating and a review, a good review. And uh, you can subscribe on there too. We got a uh, request to do some more FIP reviews on there from a certain John. So thanks for the review. Um, I don't know. Is there an FIP show that's particularly relevant to everything elite now? I think that might be the uh, bad wrestling podcast might've shoved us off the uh, FIP corner. Yeah, I think they've got that uh, on lock at this point. I feel like Uncle John. Same. Same. Sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, follow me, Aaron Like the Car. Nate's at Epitasis. Mike's at Fuji. Hey, uh, like Don Fuji, folks. Yeah, in case you never got the reference, Don Fuji. What's the Hey uh, from? He used to have a stable that was a very brief stable called Fuji Heya where he was teaching these kids how to be proper wrestlers. And I just liked it. I thought it was funny. So, yeah. Okay. I guess I say it more like the Outcast song. (laughs) I mean, I am a big fan of the Dungeon family. So that works too. You can actually... Except CeeLo, he's canceled. Yeah, except for CeeLo, of course. But Killer Mike, yeah. Can you actually name an Outcast album? Is the real Uh, real question. uh, there is the split album. There is uh, ET Aliens. There's Aqua and Minimi. That was it. Was just this was a Rich Krejci. Um, but, I was making fun of Rich Krejci here. That's all. Yeah, yeah. Rich says he likes Southern rap, but he can't name a Outcast album. Brutal. Okay. Well, I think that's it. <laughs> okay. You know, what? I'm gonna do it. Rich is canceled. He's canceled. Oh, oh well. Sorry, you, you're heavy on the cancel button today, bud. 
yeah, yeah. well i'm just you know getting one of those moods and can't hear this uh heinous outcast discussion so okay finger on the trigger all right have you worn your black pink shirt yet nate no it's uh sitting on my winged chair over here in my bedroom um have not yet it, it's like a little wrinkled so i was kind of debating if i just wanted to wait until i did laundry again and, and put it in the dryer there or actually iron it um but maybe this weekend we'll see a lot of discussion between sb and i on whether we uh wanted to keep the black pink bag oh yeah i do that i have that on the uh futon in the office here both bags actually the kia soul one and the uh transparent merch bag yeah I turned the kia soul bag into a gym bag already so yeah been using that okay well that's the black pink talk for this episode we want to have doing a stardom uh tangents while we're here people gone, seem to pop big for the stardom we've gone so long uh right. i'm just here, happy here's a question for the listeners should i do a stardom podcast <laughs> wow. do you need do you need more ab content in your life i guess is the question i can answer that for myself just kidding <laughs> ouch <laughs> I knew I should I should never ask these things because it just hurts my feelings. <laughs> I should just do it, and then some people will listen, even if it's just because they subscribe to the VOW network and accidentally download my show. Better to ask for forgiveness than permission. You're right. God, I wish I hadn't said that. Okay, I'll make uh, I'll save the rest of my mistakes for next week. <laughs> for for Mike, for Nate, I'm Aaron. We'll see you then. <laughs>